Welcome to Freedom Matters Today. This is Michael J. Sutton, and it is November the 13th, 2023. We are continuing our series on the Letter to the Hebrews. Author unknown, but written at least before the fall of Jerusalem. We're going to take a, a digression of sorts today, but really it, it isn't a digression. We are in the book of Hebrews, but I felt really compelled uh, today uh, to write and compile this broadcast in light of the events in the Middle East. The question for us today is one that I hope provokes a response. It is one I hope provokes you as it did provoke me. Does God approve of Palestinian deaths? That's the question for us today. Does God approve of Palestinian deaths? First of all, how can we apply our faith as Christians? One of the problems Christians face today is in applying our faith to the world around us. For faith to be real, it must start at home. I'm not talking about going to church on Sunday. You know my views on that. I'm talking about our relationships with others, our family, those whom we love, our friends, associates, work colleagues, and those whom we encounter in everyday life. It is in these conversations, these encounters, these decisions, these actions within this small group of people which really defines, expresses and proclaims the kind of faith we have, the sort of values we hold and the character of the God we claim to follow. Do you pray? Do you bring God into your conversation with those whom you loved? Do you seek to be the best person you can be? Not because this will get you something or somewhere, but because God is watching and he knows everything. What do your children think of your faith? Do they pray? And if they do pray, do they understand what they're doing? Are you in your little circle, your assembly of friends, being a witness to God and his son Jesus Christ, or are you a closed book? How can we make sense of Jesus? Well, looking back, we make sense of him because others made sense of him or he made sense to them and they wrote about him. They distilled what they thought the people around them might find useful, helpful and illuminating. These days, we can record all that we'd say and do, every single bit of it. But in those days, they could not. They didn't have the internet. John tells us that Jesus did far more and said a lot more than is recorded in the Bible. But that's not surprising. We have the condensed version. We have the best quotes. We have the most remembered encounters. Much of what we do have are copies in triplicate, recorded in three versions of the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. We have the Gospel of John, a very different book in style and substance and spirituality. We have the letters of Paul, John and Peter, and one from James 
and Hebrews whose author is lost to us. This Hebrews we have been considering these last few weeks. These letters were copied and copied. And many thousands of fragments of these letters and Gospels remain today. These copies, fragments and letters form the corpus or basis for our New Testament. These fragments, letters and parchments survived down through the centuries in various places. But soon the teachings of Jesus became politically incorrect, became inconvenient, became inconsistent with the political version of Christianity promoted by the church within the European city-states they now controlled. The truth is that Jesus became a political problem. The church happily kept the Bible in Latin because no one understood it. And this was a good thing because the moment anyone opened it and read it in their own language, they would discover that the church lied constantly about God, the Son of God, and the life Christians are to lead. The truth about God was lost. The life about God was denied. And the way to God was closed. For centuries, the Spirit of God moved in the hearts of people, drawing them to Christ, and the church was there to kill them. I truly believe that the Spirit of God has never stopped working amongst his people, even though the church has done its best to stop him. He has worked through men and women, shrouded by tradition, drowning in ritual and confused by language, by pointing them back to the Bible, to the words of God and to the life of Jesus Christ. One of the great moments in Western Christianity was the coming of the Bible in the local language, a repudiation of the official church text, a rejection of church authority, a retreat from church tradition. The men who did this were murdered by the church, and eventually the Protestants decided that their spiritual reformation would be based primarily on the Bible, on what the Bible said and what it expected, and how it, how it spoke to them about who God was, why Jesus came, and what he did. This readable Bible soon became a threat to political power. And this was the turning point for Christianity. A Bible they could read. A text they could understand. And a God who seemed very interested in speaking clearly to them about himself, themselves and others. Until recently, Roman Catholics kept their Bible closed. In fact, the Roman Catholic Church until the 1960s sought to destroy the Protestant faith by murdering as many as they could, and they did not support the Bible in the local language until that time. There have been since then a number of great Catholic thinkers, but they cannot, on the whole, disentangle themselves from church tradition, rituals and the hocus-pocus of the Mass. Their theology is a dead end because it does not allow God to speak outside of their traditions, their rituals, and their laws. The Pope is the boss, priests are special people, 
and people should pray to Mary. Well, the letter to the Hebrews is the antidote to the nonsense of Catholic theology that is stuck in a system that does not allow God to speak. There's nothing wrong with traditions, we all have them, but the starting point and the end point of understanding the Bible must be the text of the Bible itself. If tradition is wrong, then it should be discarded or given lower status in the life of faith. The Roman Catholics, in fact, are still emerging out of the Middle Ages. They're stuck in tradition, in the quagmire of papal teaching, and the inconsistency between the vast wealth of the Church and the poverty of Christ. The Russian Orthodox Church is a church about which I say very little. It is an Eastern tradition, not my tradition. They, too, are on a journey out of the darkness, but a very different kind, a communist one. And they're groping in the dark in a perilous world amongst a deeply traumatised nation. I leave them in the capable and wonderful hands of God. The Protestants also have a problem with their theology. Their tendency is to get themselves tied up in knots, unable to move, unable to speak, and unable to change. With these theological systems they create. Unlike Roman Catholics whose problem is located in tradition and the Russian Orthodox who suffer deep trauma going back a century, Protestants have this habit of picking up a theme from the Bible to explain a current situation, but this theme becomes a stumbling block for them, and the more they seek to define it and defend it, the more it twists and turns them inside out to the point where this theological system collapses. The first theological system to collapse in Protestantism, in my way of thinking, was Southern Calvinism in America. This was the spiritual backbone to the southern states that supported slavery and the institution of slavery. They took the doctrine of predestination, which is a biblical doctrine, the idea that God chooses people from the beginning to be his people. Very simple idea, comes from the Hebrew Bible. And somehow they took this from this idea or this doctrine of predestination that God has ordained some to be slaves and some to be free. The theologians of the South held that the Africans were slaves and this had been ordained by God and it could not change. Critics would say to me, Michael, the Bible does not condemn slavery. I agree, but nor does it condone it. Slavery in the ancient world was commonplace. It was not racially bound. Anyone could be a slave. Point taken. But the early Americans went to war against slavery. This is before the Civil War. How interesting! The early Americans went to war against the Barbary Corsairs. These were the North African pirates in two sea-based wars, not only involving America but a number of other states in their region. These pirates sought human cargo, especially Europeans, for sale in Africa. The Americans before the Civil War, opposed slavery and they fought against white slavery. Well, according to Southern Calvinism, this must have been a sin. 
and the American government should have just let the pirates take as many white people into slavery as they could. After all, God ordains slavery, or is it only black slaves he ordains? Southern Calvinism never recovered from the Civil War, and most who hold to it today cannot really escape the scandal of its association with American slavery in the American tradition. This theological system was stuck and could not accommodate a God who loved all people equally, who has no favourites, and who died for all, regardless of the colour of their skin. This is from the New Testament. The Civil War remains unresolved in America mainly because of the failure of American Christians to embrace the Christ of the Scriptures, to listen to the Spirit who moves across all creation, and follow the Father whom Christ saw worthy for his constant obedience. Let's talk about end-time theology and American foreign policy. The current situation in Israel is another example of a theological system invented by Protestants which cannot accommodate the God of the Bible. It is a creation of men and women, it is not especially Christian, and it does not flow from the scriptures, but from the vanity, imagination and delusion of man. I do not say women, because only men would be stupid enough to invent such a theological system. This system of belief is that the creation of the state of Israel, 1947, is the first sign of the end times, and that what will happen next is written about in the Bible. It is the belief that God speaks about a clear, step-by-step path towards the plains of Armageddon, where God's enemies will be defeated. In this system of belief, Israel is on God's side. Russia and Iran are doing the bidding of Diabolus, and America has been appointed to defend Israel against all evil. What is happening today is of no importance except that it all points to the clear rapture of all believers, which will happen soon. Let me be perfectly clear. This theological system prevents any humane discussion of the conflict in Palestine. It prevents any compassion for the suffering of the innocents. And it also teaches that genuine faith in Christ can can also mean obedience to and submission to Satan. It is this last point which is the most deeply offensive aspect of this idiotic theological system. Many Palestinians are Christians. Many Arabs are Christians. Many Iranians are Christians. Many Russians are Christians. But according to this theology, none of this matters because the Bible teaches this clear step-by-step program to the end of the world. The problem is, it doesn't. It is complete and utter, unbelievable rubbish. Every theological tradition, for some reason, invented by the American church, has been shown to be complete and utter rubbish, because they cannot disentangle faith and flag. I'm not talking about the founding fathers who wrote the Constitution. That's a different story altogether. That was and is a pragmatic political project. The Constitution, like all constitutions, is the product of many people thinking about the kind of society they want their nation to be. And in many ways, the American Constitution continues to shape the character 
the future and the people of America. I would not call it a Christian document, but it certainly was influenced by men, some men who call themselves Christians and identified as Christians. But that's not what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about theological systems, not the Founding Fathers or the Constitution. The problem is, you can always have too much theology. Too much theology often means too little compassion. America's enemies are, according to this view, God's enemies. Iran, Russia, the Arab states, China. They all feature in this fictitious make-believe of America's end-of-days scenario. All of these nations are the enemies of America, or were at one stage in the past. How convenient it is that the Bible so clearly agrees that everything America does is according to God's will and revealed purpose in the Scriptures. My friends, not even the British were this arrogant, and not even the Spanish under Franco. Foreign policy aside, this theology also traps Israel as much as it does the followers of Jesus. Israel did not become a nation in 1947. Israel has always been a nation, from Israel to now. Or if you don't accept the historicity of Jacob or Israel, then from the exile until now. Israel, whether in the Promised Land or out of the Promised Land, did not cease to be a nation. The diaspora spread across the world are the people of the Torah, the people of the law and the prophets, whether they live in America, Russia or Israel. End-time theology is dead-end thinking. Let's look at the book of Revelation. The book they claim shows this clear step-by-step story of this complicated American-centric, American-worshipping, but obfuscating nonsense they call the end times. In Revelation, the word nation is mentioned 22 times, and every time it's mentioned, it refers to us, the nations where we get our word Gentiles, though that word is incorrect. Most modern translations correctly say it, to the nations. 22 times every reference is to the nations, not to Israel. Jerusalem is mentioned four times, and in every case it's speaking of the new Jerusalem, the one that all God's people will inhabit when Christ returns. Israel is mentioned three times, but none of it refers to the current situation or the end times. Where are these specific references to the popular Protestant theological system that neatly packs the step-by-step process to the Battle of Armageddon? It's simply not there. These liars, and they are liars. I'm sorry if you've spent your whole life listening to these people. They're liars. They make a lot of money from lying to people about the Bible. Then they go to the Hebrew Bible and to obscure passages like Ezekiel 38, where they allege falsely that Russia is Gog and Magog, the enemies of God. These liars don't even bother to do proper biblical exegesis. They are so convinced, they are so full of their own self-importance, and they're so full of the expectation that they will get your money, that they don't bother even doing the hard yards to work out if any of it makes any sense. What the scriptures teach is very clear. Christ will return, and that's the end of it. Christ will return, and that's the end of it. He will return when we least expect it. His return will be sudden and swift, 
and we can look forward to the new Jerusalem, a new heavens, and a new earth. Hallelujah. In the meantime, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. There was no one beyond the love and mercy of God. No matter how far they've fallen or how far they've walked away from God, there is forgiveness for all who turn back to him. This is free and full and complete to all who desire to return to God. Anyone who calls Jesus Lord is part of God's family, and all made in the image of God, whether Israeli or Palestinian or Arab, are those whom God loves and has shown love, and especially we believe in the words, actions, and identity of Jesus. I asked a question at the beginning. Does God approve of Palestinian deaths? Most of these fake Christians would say, yes, 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 because if you stand against the state of Israel, then you're standing against God. And since the state of Israel is central to the return of Jesus and our theological system, those who seek to hurt Israel or even oppose the policies of Israel and Palestine are fighting against God and God's plan for humanity. Do you even listen to that stuff? Does it make even any skerrick of sense? I have listened to so many of these liars in recent weeks, and they will not even come out and say the words that Jesus said. For some reason, they cannot speak the words of Christ. How interesting. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. Might I also quote the Torah? You shall not commit murder. Or I might even go further to Deuteronomy and say, Vengeance is mine, I will repay says Yahweh. I believe the theological system that so many American Christians hold today will collapse as decisively as the Southern Calvinism system did in the past, because it cannot hold itself together. There are so many brothers and sisters in Christ in Gaza, but according to these religious fascists in America, they are all the kin of Satan. How convenient a theology that writes their humanity out of existence. How convenient a theology who denies their identity. How convenient a theology that says that because of some obscure point that they've invented, no compassion for them ought to be extended. Does God welcome the death of innocent women and children? Does God laugh at the calamity of nations when the missiles fall on hospitals, schools, playgrounds and churches? Is the life of one Israeli worth more in God's sight than the life of one Palestinian? If you answer yes to any of these three questions, I'm sorry. I am truly sorry, but it's probably too late for you. God is not on the side of genocide. The missiles that fly into Gaza are not engraved with the words, from God with love. This is man's doing. Man is responsible for it. It is like all wars, sordid and sinful, and blaming God for it or arguing that God is on anyone's side is a sin. God never takes sides in war. Wars are the result of human desires to have what is not ours and to seek what we do not have. The insistence of many churches in the West to stand with Israel is also a sin against God. For we are called to tell others about the good news of Jesus Christ, not to promote war, enlisting conflict or take sides in a complicated historical mess that the West created and continues to shape for its own sinful interests. There are legitimate grievances on both sides. This is a war of vengeance and revenge in a culture of vendetta and blood, 
where the future is shaped by the past and endless cycle of violence. The only future is forgiveness or death. I've spoken about this before on the Havori Morik show at TNT Radio, and if you read my blog, you can find the link to that interview. Forget end-time theology, my friends. Follow Jesus instead. I've shown that the most popular Protestant theological systems to offer blanket and open support for Israel and Palestine are not Christian. They're not biblical, and they're not coherent. In other words, they don't make any sense. Whether you want to take a side or not, that's your choice. But if you do, then all wars should be short. A bad peace is better than a good war. And war itself must be conducted with compassion and respect, non-combatants. And all soldiers must fight with honour, for God honours the day, and nothing can escape his thought. I've watched many of these guys on the internet. They have hundreds of thousands of subscribers, far more than I'll ever have. They are all very wealthy people. They all live in America very well. They drive nice cars, they have nice houses, and I'm sure they're all looking forward to giving it all up when Jesus returns so they can spend eternity with the people they condemn daily on their programs. Do these guys want Jesus to return? Of course not. Have you ever met a poor American Christian celebrity? There's your answer. Do you think these liars have all the answers? They're laughing all the way to the bank with your money. They offer no compassion to the victims of war, they're blinded by their own prejudice, and they have no interest whatsoever in talking about Jesus Christ. They won't be having, for example, a series on the identity of Christ from the Book of Hebrews because they're too busy lying to you about the end times, lying to you about America, lying to you about Trump, lying to you about uh, what's happening in Israel and Palestine, lying to you about whatever is happening in, in Ukraine and Russia, and lying is what they do because they are following their master, Diablos. Pretty plain, pretty simple. For men and women who claim to be Christian ministers, priests and pastors and for whom Christ is not the central part of their teaching, they are not Christians, friends. If they're obsessed constantly with the culture war, if they're obsessed constantly with the end times, if they're obsessed constantly with some other thing, then they are not following Jesus Christ. I didn't particularly want to digress from my identity series of Christ on the identity of Christ today, but I felt compelled today to write this uh, blog and to proclaim this broadcast because I feel very strongly about this. I listen to these people from time to time and particularly uh, recently in this current conflict. And all their rambling and their nonsense and their accusations and their falsehoods, there's one person they don't talk about and that's Jesus Christ because they don't believe in him and they don't follow him. The best way forward in a practical sense for us, we don't have the big blogs and podcasts. We don't have the half million subscribers. We don't have the, the 10 houses and $150 million in the bank because we're a Christian minister. We don't have all those kinds of things. We're just ordinary people. What can we do? What difference can we make in our lives? Well, I think one way forward is to expand your circle of friends to those with whom you disagree, pray for them, walk with them, share your life and your faith with them. It could be someone who votes for the opposite party at your school. It could be someone who shares different ideas at the playground where your kids play. 
It could be someone who looks different. It could be someone who has different traditions. It could be someone who believes in another god or believes in different gods who has no belief in any god. But you'll find them in your circle of friends. Just take a few more steps out from the centre, a few steps out to bring in more people. Pray for them, walk with them, share with them your faith in your life. Put the fake theology aside. Open the Bible and rediscover the truth about God. Forget the rambling, hateful speech of these liars and follow Jesus instead. For God loves all he made. He cares for all who live and he expects us to walk with all who are made in his image. Remember, freedom matters today because you matter to God. I'll talk to you next week.